Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I have a very special guest with me, Steve Haro. Steve, welcome. Hey, Meredith. How's it going? I am great, and um, I know you are too because you have just published a wonderful new book that's doing extremely well, and I want to just give a little bit of an introduction about you before we jump in to talk about our topic today. Steve is the founder and CEO of Victory Selling, and he uses a unique tool that I'll get him to talk about today. It's called the Sales DNA Test. And he uses this with clients to help them find, train, and coach salespeople. And that's Steve's area of expertise, selling, because he was a top seller with both um, Aflac and Cutco uh, Cutlery. And he is the author of this new book called Sales is Not a Dirty Word, The Definitive Guide for Success in Sales. And Steve, I love that title because... My audience of coaches, consultants, trainers, and other service professionals tend to avoid sales yes, uh, because that, that's not their love. That's not the area they feel most comfortable with. And so I'm eager to pick your brain today yeah. to find out what insights you have for them. Before we do, though, let's just start back a little bit and look at your own journey sure. selling. Just give us a brief um, introduction about where, where you came from and sure. what caused you to be so passionate today about teaching others how to be effective in selling. Sure thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the last person you would ever think would be successful. Audiences or training or coaching. Um, you remember growing up, like the last person picked that kickball, you know, that would have been me in terms of sales. Ironically, I was the first one picked that kickball because I was good at sports. That was one of the only things I was good at, but I was deathly afraid of people. Um, you know, probably from second grade through geez, freshman year of college, I didn't say a word. I mean, nothing, um, head down in homeroom no dates, no dances, no prom, nothing like that. Um, deathly afraid of people. And then my uh, freshman year of college, I went to a school in Boston, an expensive business school and um, needed to help pay, you know, for it and needed some money, needed to get a job. And they had these little flyers on the desks that said um, $10 an appointment, a phone number, part-time, like that's it. So I called up and I said, Hey, I need a job. Like, what is this job? And they said, uh, it's customer service and sales. And I was like, uh, do I have to talk to people? Or <laughs> is there like a desk job or something? And they were like, no, that's not really the job. I said, well, what is it? They go, we'll tell you when you get here. And I didn't have anything better to do. So I just went having no idea what it was. Um, and then they interviewed me. I got the job. They hired me. And I found out later, you know, they just hire anybody 
breathing, right? So I go home and tell my parents I got the job. They go, that's great, Stevie. What are you doing? I said, uh, I'm going to be selling knives. You know, and my dad was like, you're not doing that. I said, why not? He goes, okay, one, you don't talk. Two, nobody's going to buy your knives. And three, I'm not giving you the money for the knife kit. I said, oh, all right. Hey, mom, can I have 150 bucks? <laughs> so uh, mom gives me the money, of course, to get started. And I got this script, the Cutco knife script. If any of you guys have done it or have kids that have done it, the script is like this long and it's full of sales speak and just used car jargon and all the crap you just would not ever want to say. And I had never sold anything in my life, but I knew I wasn't going to say that. So I ripped up the script and I would just go to the grocery store and buy food. And that's what my demo was. I brought food to people's houses and we cut up the food. And they saw how great the knives were. And Cutco's expensive, many of you know, but it's amazing. And in sales, you know, we're always taught when we're selling something never to mention the price. It's just, you don't do that. Well, I mentioned the price because I was just being honest with them. And you know, one knife was like 80 bucks. I mean, that was worth more than my life, you know, at the time. But I would tell people, hey, it's 80 bucks, but you'll never have to buy it again, like ever. And it's the best thing on the market. And so I ended up the number one sales rep out of every college student in New England. Um, my first three weeks in the business, I made 1600 bucks, you know, in three weeks part time. And I went home and told my parents and I was like, Hey dad, you were right. The knife thing didn't work. Um, and he goes, I told you it wouldn't work. And I said, uh, I'm just kidding. Here's my check. And uh, he said, this is from the knives. I go, yeah, dad, I told you. And he goes, let me see these expletive word knives, right? We're from Boston, you know, and I got the knives and he used them. And then he mentioned another holy word. Um, and said, maybe we'll buy some of these. And so that's when I knew like, oh my God, my dad doesn't buy anything from anybody ever. And so if he's buying something from me, maybe I could do well at this thing. And so I stayed with Cutco through college. My uh, senior year, I was number one in the country um, with Cutco. So it was a great start and stayed with them running sales teams for a couple of years thereafter. So that was kind of my start. And um, again, what a story, yeah. Steve, to go from yeah. not wanting to talk to people to yeah. becoming the number one uh, salesperson in that company. Yeah, well, it's quite a journey. I'm thinking about your new book. And of course, yeah. there are tons of sales books on the market. So tell us a little bit about what was, what was it that drove you to feel there needs to be this book about sales because mine is unique in this way. What was it about your book? I think a couple of factors when I had left Cutco, I went to Aflac, which we probably talked about, you know, the duck and spent 14 years with them and made it to number one with Aflac too. And not saying that as a, as a brag, I'm saying that because it doesn't matter what you say. Everybody gets hung up on the product or service. It's not that sales is about people. That's why you can have success selling a physical product or something you can't see, touch, or feel. And when I was running sales teams for Aflac, I saw the way that people were trained, just like the same way they were trained in Cutco. And it's all this generic, one-size-fits-all crap. 
It's like stuff from the 80s and 90s. And that's kind of what I saw in many of the books that were out there. They're just kind of repackaging this, this old regurgitated sales speak, you know, from 1990. And I wanted to bring to the forefront some of the things that really work today, you know, in 2020. Like, I don't have a beeper. I don't use a VCR. <laughs> They're obsolete. Right. Why would I use the same sales language from 1987? It just doesn't make sense. So I really saw there was an opportunity to share with people the new way right, of selling. Consumers today are so much more savvy and sophisticated than they were even three years ago, you know, let alone 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So that same old school ABC always be closing crap, you know, that didn't work then. And it sure as heck doesn't work now. So that's where I saw I really could bring something different to the table with this book. And you mentioned it in the open. Sales is not a dirty word, but the perception of salespeople is horrible still today. Nobody wants to say they're in sales and let alone if you sell cars or something, you don't ever want to say you sell cars because of the perception. But, but all this perception, it's so funny that, you know, life imitates art and movies imitate life and so on. And I talk about this in the book, but there's a movie that completely altered the way hundreds of millions of people live their lives. That came out in 1975. You know what it is? Uh, yes, because I've read your book. Damn it. <laughs> um, no, for those know. of you guys listening, if I gave you, you remember, name that tune, right? I can name that tune in two notes, right? You'll name this movie in two notes. You ready? Dun, dun. And everyone knows it's Jaws. And it's crazy because Jaws is not real, everybody. It's not Shark Week. It's not on Discovery Channel. It's fake. There have never been a 30-foot great white ever in history, ever filmed anywhere living on this planet, and they're certainly not attacking people in Amity Island. But because of the movie, hundreds of millions of people stopped going in the water. People in Indiana, like, stopped going into ponds. <laughs> this is real, people. And to this day, that movie has had a devastating effect on the shark population. Devastating. Sharks kill about six of us a year, and we kill 100 million of them. 3% of sharks are dangerous. And by the way, who considers them dangerous? We do, right? 3%. But people still don't want to go in the water because they think they're going to get attacked by a shark. And you are more likely to be killed, ready for this, being struck by lightning while you're drowning at the same time. That's more likely. But it's the perception. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to change. That's why everything I do, right, is helping salespeople to overcome that negative perception of salespeople. And it starts with language, right? That's why we call it sales is a dirty word. Because if you sound like a salesperson, you are a salesperson. And so much of us have to do this stuff now over the phone or on Zoom and people hear language 
And so if you're emulating the language of these gurus, okay, the closers, I'll teach you how to close, okay, you're just going to sound like a salesperson, which everybody hates. So we have to change our language, right? It's not just the, the techniques or whatever you want to call it. Right. But there's so that was the driving approach. I, I'm sure that you have, um, because I have read your book, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about what is it in your experience that typically holds salespeople back? What is it they struggle with the most that keeps them from being as successful as they would like to be? And before you answer that, I just want to say, anyone who owns a business is in sales. Oh, yeah. If you're not bringing in new clients or renewing existing clients, you can't stay in business. So I want yeah. to lay that groundwork because, you know, all of my listeners or probably just about all of them are in sales in one form or another. So oh, yeah. when you think about this broader audience of people that need to bring in business, what, what do you see with all of your work um, and as a business owner yourself, working with other business owners at times, I'm sure. What do you see them struggle with the most? It's funny because I think of this analogy. I'm doing a um, webinar for Professional Photographers Association coming up, right? And photography is, is an art, obviously. I mean, it takes a long time to be good at that. But most people, they pick up a camera and they try to take pictures. They don't come out good and they blame the camera. It's, it's like, do you know how long these people have studied to get the right aperture, to get the right, I mean, all of that, right? It's a science. It takes so much time. And I see salespeople and business owners all the time worried about why they're not making sales when the equivalency would be them picking up a camera and thinking they can take the million dollar shot when they don't even know how to take the lens cap off. So it's a, it's a, a lack of a skill set that I see the most. It's two parts though, right? Because it's mindset and skill set. Mm -hmm. But most people have never, ever been properly taught to sell. Never, right? They see all these gurus on social media or, you know, they watch the movies, Boiler Room and, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and all these things. Like that's their impression of sales. And that's what they think they have to do. So, so many people, they lose their integrity. Uh, honesty, integrity, humility. Those are the three keys. That's how I sell. That's how I speak. That's how I train. That's how I coach. All of it. You just have to be you. But so many people are trying to be somebody else, right? They want the magic script. They want the perfect funnel. They want, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you forgot about you. you. People are buying you, right? And so I see that so much in sales and, and companies. They, they try to be somebody they're not. It doesn't ever work. Well, people can pick up on that oh, yeah. uh, lack of sincerity or forcedness. Uh, yes. Let's go deeper with those three traits that you just described, because I agree with you. I think they're absolutely essential but explain what you mean by integrity honesty and humility in the context of selling sure there's one it actually probably just came up recently where so 
you have people that teach and tell you, oh, everybody can be sold, right? Or, you know, don't give up till you hear no and all this kind of crap. Integrity is selling something to somebody who sees value in what you're doing that should or wants or needs your product or service. But what's more important is not selling something to somebody when you know it's not right for them. That's integrity. When you can tell people, you know what, Meredith, I, I just don't think this is, this is the right time for, for us right now. I just don't think it's something that, you know, we should move forward with because X, because Y, because Z. But so many other salespeople, they just want to make the sale. They don't care. They just want their commission. Um, <laughs> there's, um, you know, I, I don't even want to talk about this famous sales guru who, you know, will, will hopefully be in prison soon and or bankrupt. Um, and you've all seen him on social media and you've seen him do these big stadium tours and all this crap about invest with me and I'll make you a millionaire and you'll have a Bentley like me and all this crap. This is the same person that said on film that he would sell this coffee cup to somebody for a hundred and the same coffee cup to another guy for 8,000. I'm just here to make my money. What do I care? This is who people are watching, right? And that is what clouds people's integrity, right? They think, oh, I'm making sales. I'm the number one guy, gal, whatever. You're hurting people. You know, in, in the AFLAC days, we would sell policies that helped people if they got sick or got hurt, right? That's what AFLAC does. They pay you money. And so we had so many people, thousands of people we helped in families, right, that went through a major accident or went through cancer. And if they didn't have AFLAC, they would have lost their house. But there's plenty other people that really wanted to get AFLAC, but maybe they were a single mom or a dad, right? And they just couldn't afford to be able to have that come out of their check because they got to pay rent every month. Would I like them to have it? Sure. But am I going to sell it to them and it's taking food out of their kids' mouths? No. But there were plenty of people that did because they just want to get their money. Mm -hmm. And so the same person that you don't sell to, that you don't close, right, that you don't force into a purchase, guess what? A year from now when they're ready, they'll come back to you. And not only will they come back to you, they'll probably buy 10 times as much and refer you to 10 different people because you weren't the closer, mm -hmm. right? So that's why you always have to be honest and have integrity. It's just, it's the only way to go. And, and you know, Jim Rohn and so many, Jim Rohn is, is, was an amazing guy, but so many things I've learned from him. But he said, if you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And how else would you want to live? He, and that's how you got to be in sales. So people don't come back to you and say, well, you said this, you said I could have it for this because you were just trying to make this, you know, it just causes so many problems when you don't tell the truth to people. And guess what guys, not everybody's going to buy, hate to break it to you. Not everybody's your customer, not everybody's your client. You just have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're talking about too is a focus on relationship building versus oh, transactions. Yeah. Especially now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so more important now so than ever. Let's look at humility. What is it you're um, 
What, what do you mean by that, again, in the context of selling? Sure. You know, in the old days, when I first started in sales, because again, when you're younger, you do stupid things and you waste a lot of money and, you know, you think things are important and they're really not. And so in the old days, it was like my goal was to get a Mercedes, just always. I had one on my bureau when I was a teenager. I, I just, I always wanted one. And then my first one I got was like a BMW, like a three series, right? So a nice car, but not like the big, you know, expensive ones. And then I got the next one and then I was able to get a Mercedes and then a really nice Mercedes. And then you realize like, what the hell are you doing? Like what? nobody cares. Who cares? People buy stuff to satisfy their ego. And when I realized that that stuff wasn't important and that my reputation and being humble and helping others and using my money wisely was more important, it changed my whole life. And so now it's like, why would I have felt so stupid for wasting so much money on some dumb car? But, but that is still the impression of what you see on social media. We have these idiots that are on there. Go look at my $70,000 watch and they do the videos like this, right? So you can, or, you know, they'll pause next to their Bentley or whatever. And it's like, that's not humble. And people that are relatable to me and that I want to be around in my life, it's not them. So if people want to do that and go blow your money on a $150,000 car, be my guest, go do it. But you don't have to be flashy and brag and boast about how great you are in order to be good in sales. It's just a misnomer. Uh, some of my mentors are, you never know who they were at all. I mean, you, you would not assume anything about these people. It's like a regular dude and these people make two, three, seven, ten million dollars a year but they're humble. They don't need to drive around in a Lamborghini. They don't need a 14,000 square foot house. You know, it took me a while to, to realize that, but now it's like, you don't have to brag. Just help a lot of people. Let them brag. Right? That's Let a great approach. Yes. And, and really what you're talking about with humility is this inner confidence that you have, that you don't have the need to, Right. show outer trappings right to try right. to prove your confidence you have that assurance inside that you're you're fine with who you are yes so let's imagine um in a sales situation where somebody is talking to a prospective client they're sensing the person is interested are there any specific suggestions you have to help that sales, the person in the sales role and that prospective client be comfortable in moving towards the ask? So it's funny you asked that question um, for two reasons. One is I just put up a blog and a video about this because I was listening to a podcast from one of the sales gurus and trying to hear what are they still telling people? And the guy said, well, when it comes to the sale, you know, most salespeople don't ask for the sale, right? So all you got to do is ask, you know, don't worry about the money, just ask. And it's like, that's your advice. That's like telling somebody who's afraid of heights to just jump. 
just just jump. All you got to do is, yeah, if it were that easy, they could have done it, right? It, the problem is helping people make the transition mentally to be able to ask for the sale. That's the stuff, and we, we'll probably talk about it, but that's what the sales DNA test does. That is precisely what it does because what 99% of other sales trainers do is they just give you the length. Hey, Meredith, here's how you ask for the sale, right? But you won't say it if you have these other issues and these other challenges. It, it would be like me teaching you how to swing the perfect way in baseball, right? I got the perfect swing. I'm going to teach you how to do it. But then you get in the batter's box and you're afraid of the ball. It's irrelevant what I just taught you because uh -huh. when the ball's coming in at 97 at your chin, you're not going to remember what I told you. That's why all these people that are trying to teach closing are wasting their time. You have to teach people and help them understand why they're not asking. Mm -hmm. and, well, and that's so huge. Yeah, let's let's talk about that DNA yeah. test. What kind yeah. of things does it bring out and indicate what's yeah. holding someone back besides the quote technique? Yeah. So we <laughs> we measure the 21 core competencies that it takes to understand to be great at sales. And it's not like we have all day, but some of them, the ones that I think that are the most relevant to what we're talking about, the first one is called the need to be liked. Okay, or need for approval. Most salespeople have been taught for decades that they, you know, you buy from people you like and you trust. And so they're always trying to be liked. That will kill you in sales. Because what happens when a prospect pushes back or a prospect gives you an objection or a prospect says this, that, or the other, you don't say what needs to be said to move the conversation forward. You go into, oh, I don't want to say that because then they won't like me anymore. And then they won't buy. And so now you go into follow-up mode because you don't want to upset them. And that will kill you in sales. And that whole people buy from people they like and trust, part of it's true. But I promise you, you guys go home, talk to your spouse, your husband, wife, whoever, and ask them if they'll buy your car off you right now for 10 million bucks. And you tell me what they say. Because guess what? They love you and trust you. But they still ain't buying because there's no value. And sales always comes down to value. Value is first. And when you understand that, you won't worry about as much that need to be liked. Probably the top 6% of salespeople would rather be respected than liked. And guess what the top 6% of salespeople earn compared to the bottom 94. So we've built courses and lessons on overcoming the need to be liked. That's the difference. We can't just tell them, well, just ask, Tom. It's the same thing when I teach referrals. And most salespeople are terrible with referrals, right? And mainly it's because they don't ask. So if I'm a sales manager and I'm telling my salespeople, well, just ask. That's not the answer. They don't know why they're not asking. 
you, you, that's the issue. So we've got to get into what is their sales DNA? What is that telling us, right? And so that need to be liked is huge. Um, another one is called an unsupportive buy cycle. And this one's really interesting because the way that we buy affects the way that we sell. So if you tend to be a value shopper or you tend to take a while to make decisions, what happens when a prospect tells you that they want to think about it, by default, you go into, no problem, that's okay, Meredith, because you like to think about things before you buy. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying the thing that would have got them to the next spot in the conversation, you went into apology mode. Oh, that's okay. Take your time. We'll talk in two weeks. You, you lose because of the way you buy and the way you make decisions. So we have to work on that. And those are some of the lessons we teach. We don't teach. Here's the closing question, Ted. There's so much more to it than that. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, maybe this last one, the third one would probably be we measure your comfortability with money. So if you're uncomfortable with money, you're going to have a very difficult time in sales for many reasons. Um, one is just being comfortable having a discussion about budget with somebody. Two is being able to discuss their money. So that's another issue. And three is your value of money. So I ask this question a lot with my clients, you know, is 10 grand a lot of money? And typically they'll say, yeah. So Jeff, I put a brick of 10,000 bucks in front of you. Is that a lot? They say, yeah. And I'll say, does Warren Buffett think that's a lot of money? No. Does Oprah think that's a lot of money? No. But it's the same value, right? Her and I can spend the 10 grand the same way, but it's how we think about the 10 grand. That's the issue. So when salespeople or consultants or coaches or whatnot are selling their services, let's say, and they, they charge, let's say they charge $15,000, but they personally think 5,000 is a lot of money. When somebody says to them, geez, Meredith, 15 grand, that's a lot of money. You agree with them physiologically, emotionally. And so now you go into empathy mode. Now you start discounting. Now you start trying to justify your pricing. Now you start saying, okay, well, I know it's a lot of money, but let's do it for nine times. You lose. So we have to teach people how to be comfortable, not only discussing money, but understanding the value of money for themselves in their lives. And that, by the way, is just three of the 21 competencies we measure. Mm -hmm. And so once people find these out, I've had so many people say, Steve, I wish I'd have taken this thing 20 years ago. When I took it, I wanted to jump off a building because I thought I was good in sales, right? Number one in Affleck, number one in Cutco, blah, blah, blah. And I took it and I'm like, I am not that good. And it's very humbling, but that's how you grow. The people that understand that they could get better are the ones that always grow. It's the people that think they're great already that, that fail, right? Because mm -hmm. they think they're awesome and I'm perfect and all this. But if you really want to understand what's holding you back in your business and as a salesperson, man, this thing is, it's so accurate, but it's also very humbling too. 
Well, it sounds like what it can help people do really is overcome blind spots, oh, big things that we aren't aware of that get yes. in our way when yes. we are in these sales conversations because yes. we get caught up maybe in the moment of that interaction we're involved with and we don't realize all those unconscious things or right. subconscious things that are that are at play in the background That's and what so it, is. it sounds like what you do with this uh, sales dna test is you bring all that to light yes so you help people you know kind of remove the scales from their eyes and be yes see oh that is where this is coming from and that's why i've had a problem with right. this issue so with the work that you do with um, individual clients or organizations once yep. they identify a specific issue you've then mapped out strategies or guidelines yes. or some specific ideas of what will help them Yes. Um, would you describe that as overcoming the problem or working through it? Or how do they get from problem to solution? What do you call that process where they're yeah. working to close that gap? It's almost like um, I remember when I, I got really badly injured playing softball, broke my collarbone into five pieces. Um, I still scored, by the way, on the play. But that's another story. Um, so... Well, I had to go, obviously, and get an x-ray. Clearly, something was wrong. I couldn't move my arm or breathe, so something was wrong. So I have to go see a professional, and the professional is going to give me an x-ray or an MRI and then diagnose me. And so when they diagnose me and the doctor says, gee, Steve, uh, you broke your collarbone into five pieces, here are your options, A or B. Okay, well, I want to fix it. What do you think I should do, doc? And she said, surgery tomorrow at seven o'clock. Great, do the surgery. So now we do the surgery six weeks later, right? I, I know what was wrong and they gave me the prescription to fix it. And then also what's included with that is physical therapy. So it's not just identifying what's wrong. That's just half of it. How the heck do we fix it? Mm -hmm. So... It was very intense physical therapy. I mean, re a lot. And I, if I didn't do that, guess what would have happened to my arm? I would have lost movement, right? I would have lost range of motion. And if some of you guys have had broken collarbones, you know, sometimes there's the calcium big deposit. Sometimes you can't move your arm past 90 degrees because you didn't do the physical therapy you were supposed to do. But I did it. And they told me exactly what to do, and I did it. It was painful. It took a while. It took six months. But guess what? My arm feels better than it ever did before. I still have plates and screws and all that, but I'm completely healthy because I followed their prescription. I followed their treatment plan. So that is what's missing from almost every training program I see out there. Every training program that's out there is just the physical therapy. In essence, they're giving a physical therapy program to somebody for a broken collarbone that doesn't even have a broken collarbone. They have a broken pinky toe. But everybody gets the physical therapy right plan mm -hmm. for the collarbone. It's all this one size fits all stuff. 
Let me teach you how to close, right? You don't even know what's wrong with me. You don't even know what my deficiencies are. You don't know what my self-limiting beliefs are. You don't even know what my skill sets are. Maybe I'm already a good closer, but I'm not good at building value, or I have a need to be liked, or I'm not a great negotiator, right? So that's the process. And so all that back-end, you know, physical therapy, right, program, I guess, is what I built over the last 18 months. Mm. So I did like a modern-day Napoleon Hill type of thing. So I interviewed tons of six and seven figure salespeople, men and women in every industry you could imagine about what they were doing in 2019 to have success. I learned every one of their habits, every one of their processes, how they ask for referrals and sales and closing and customer service and networking and all that. And that's part of what I train and teach on. And then the other half of the lessons, the remedy, right? The physical therapy are the lessons in relation to the results of the sales DNA test. Because we already know where most people struggle. Mm -hmm. If they have a need to be liked, I built a lesson on overcoming the need to be liked. If they have a problem discussing money, I built lessons on overcoming those challenges, right? If they need help reaching decision makers, there's lessons on that. And so it's a, a holistic view of like, okay, let's diagnose the problem, but then let's give them the treatment plan to fix it, right? Most of what I see out there, it's just the same treatment plan for everybody. Everyone gets two aspirin, but I have cancer. No, I know, but just take these two aspirin, you'll be good. Um, but I broke my ankle. Oh, I know, just take the two aspirin. That is what 99% of sales training is. And that's why people never get better. Mm -hmm. Well, having been through some sales training programs, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so um, I love that you have, you took the time to really get the best of the best out, Long time. out of these top producers and then synthesize that into yes. material that's truly valuable. So as we come to the close of this conversation, I know we could yes, go on, Steve, but <laughs> yes. I want to ask you to please share with my audience where they can get your books. Sure. It's not a dirty word. And also how they can learn more about you and the programs that you offer. Yeah, that'd be great. So it's available on Amazon. So just like yours, congrats on yours as well. Um, so you can get it on Amazon. And then if you'd like more info, um, just go to salesdnatest.com. That's the best way to learn about it. If you have some interest in it, just hit me up, right? Send me a message. We're happy to share more info with you, but it's a game changer. And it's something that people really need to learn, right? Is if I can't see my blind spots, just like you said, how am I going to fix it? How am I going to get any better? Um, so that would be great. So thank you so much. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I love that you have put this together and we'll be sure and put links to That'd your website so and to your book and anything else you'd like us to on the show notes page for your episode thank when it so gets much. published. So Steve, thank you so much for being Thanks, my guest Meredith. today. I love what, what you have put together not only with the sales DNA test that you're using, but also the material then that can help people as they look to improve. Because I know your goal is to really help people create strong relationships because yes. of, of having conversations with you and knowing your focus is really 
on that value creation and relationship building. So thank yes, you ma'am. so much for what you're doing in the Thanks world again, and the great impact you're having. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.